Father God, we give you thanks for the causes of celebration in this Holy Week. We pray, Lord God, that you would visit us now by your Holy Spirit and speak your word afresh to us. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and the will to respond to your call. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I want to thank uh, Deborah for that welcome. It's a great joy to be here and to be amongst you. Joy to be working with uh, alumni of the school like uh, Deborah and uh, Joe Gibbs and to see what the Lord is doing in this great church. Yesterday I was speaking on this idea that we have in the scripture that Jesus came and was on his journey to the cross in order to set us free from the burdens of sin and death and the devil. He came to be a ransom to set us free. Well, today I want to think about another one of the great New Testament revelations. He came to take away the sin of the world. That marvellous moment when John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's an astonishing moment. I want us to focus on that particular revelation today as we together take this journey day by day towards Good Friday and then the celebrations of Easter Sunday. But it starts off very strikingly that Jesus is this sacrifice for sin. Now to understand more about that, we have to turn into the great book of Hebrews to understand what it is that is being explained to us. And we find some very striking verses, particularly in Hebrews 9 and 10, that shed a great deal of light on what it was that John the Baptist was saying about Jesus. The first verse we need to notice is Hebrews 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, so thinking about the Old Testament law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness of sins. So what we've been reminded of here, and you can go back to places like Leviticus chapter 4 and see it expelled out in more detail, is a reminder that God had provided a way of bringing forgiveness to sinful people. And they would bring an animal for sacrifice. They'd lay hands on that animal. The sinner identifying with the animal. And then the animal had to die. Well, the message was clear. The sin that leads us to death, the wages of sin is death, we find out in Romans. My sin doesn't lead to my death, but through this sacrificial animal, it leads to the death of the animal. It's a substitution. So far, so good. But then we go on into the next chapter, and we find out something very striking in chapter 10 and verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what about all those sacrifices that have been offered all these hundreds of years? Well, we've got to keep on reading. We get down to verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 10 and we find this. Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So what we find out 
is that all that sacrificial system we find laid out throughout the book of Leviticus and elsewhere explains what God had put in as an interim arrangement to prepare the human race for what God would one day do in the person of Jesus Christ. He would set up a system by which we could realise the seriousness of the crisis of sin. Those things that we do that God tells us not to do and that we don't do that God tells us we should. These things that everybody does that we don't think perhaps matter very much. Well, God is making it clear they do matter very much. They sever relationship with the God who created us and who sustains us, who has given us every good gift on whom we depend for everything. It's a tremendous crisis. But the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away that crisis. But they could point us to Jesus when he came. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He uniquely could do what they could not. You see, you can't really substitute a human being for a sheep. Quite reassuring, frankly. It's just not the same value. But the point was being made that that shows you the seriousness of sin. It shows you that sin separates us from God. If we want to go to the temple and be known before God, have our prayers heard and answered, our sins need forgiveness. The sheep or the goat, they stood in the place of the Jesus who would come and die for the sin of the world. Jesus tells a story that I think it brings home to more familiar language. We're not so familiar with everyday sacrifices. But we are perhaps more familiar with the financial challenge that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 18. He talks about a king who was owed a debt, 10,000 talents by one of his servants. Now, 10,000 talents is a very large debt. Always it's difficult to make the conversion, but you can make the conversion and it comes out about $6 billion. That's a pretty big debt. How did the servant crank up a $6 billion debt? Well, the king calls him in one day and says, I'm afraid you should have paid up by now. It's time for you and your family to go to prison. The debtor's jail, which takes us back to what we talked about yesterday. He says, no, no, don't do that. Give me time, I will pay. Well, I'm sure the people who first heard that story must have laughed out loud. Where's he going to find the six billion dollars? Is it going to be one billion this year, maybe another billion next? I don't think so. But it's a natural human reaction when we think about not so much our financial debts, but our moral debts. We want to pay it off. George Bernard Shaw famously said, I will pay my own debts. It's a noble sentiment, but it's an impossibility. The only thing this servant could likely do is make the debt even worse. But what we find is the astonishing response of the king. He doesn't say, well, maybe we'll give you a bit longer to pay it off. He cancels the debt. One day the man owes $6 billion. The next day he owes nothing. Complete forgiveness of all his sin. That's the message that Jesus is explaining. It's an absolutely astonishing revelation. That this is what is going on. This Jesus comes to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He takes our moral debt and he says, I will pay it for you. Such is the love of God. He knows how terrible our debts are. He knows we cannot pay them. He pays them for us. 
what Jesus says from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There from the cross itself, Jesus is saying, I am paying for the sin of the world. This is where sin leads, not to fun and happiness all your life. Death and destruction, that's where sin leads. And I'm going there for you. But then we go on to see a little bit more specifically elsewhere in the scriptures. I'm going to particularly turn over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Because there we hear about the way in which Jesus is very particularly standing in our place. So 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds... You are healed. It's very dramatic language of substitution. He is in our place, so we don't need to be there. Go back to that king who forgave the 10,000 talent debt, the $6 billion. Notice at one moment, that servant is in deep trouble. He owes $6 billion. The next moment, the king's in trouble. He's lost $6 billion. That's the nature of forgiveness. When Jesus hangs on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for their sin, he's saying, I'm paying for them. I'm not going to get them back. I'm going to pay their debt for them. It is an extraordinary moment of revelation. And it's an exchange. He stands in our place and pays a debt we can't afford. It's such an astonishingly striking thing. There's a very remarkable commentary from uh, Martin Luther, talking about Galatians, actually. And this is the comment he makes there, trying to help us see Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. He explains it this way, that Jesus was willing to stand as the greatest transgressor, sinner, murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer, that ever was or ever could be in all the world. The man who never did any of those things wrong died as if he did them all wrong. It's an astonishing revelation. He stands in our place. Here's something I found helps try to understand this astonishing thing. Imagine in this little notebook, I've got a record of my sins. Don't worry, I haven't. (laughs) But imagine for a moment, this is a record of my sins. And imagine that we have up here the light of God. And here am I. Well, my sins have cut me off from God. It's Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Our sins have separated us from God. These things that we do that we shouldn't do and don't do, but we should, they stand between us and our God. They leave us in the dark, so to speak. We don't feel God close to us. We're not walking with him in the shadow of the day. But what we find is that Jesus has come to us, this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He comes with no sin of his own. He takes my sin, your sin, the sin of the whole world, and he takes it down to death where it's buried. The price of sin has been paid completely. And so now, we who are still accumulating these sins that Jesus has already died for, we need to learn to recognize that he's taken these things for us. Not carry on burdened by the sin and guilt, but recognize he's already paid the price for these things. So we can be forgiven and set free to live a new life for him. But we notice it's for the sin of the whole world. 
But doesn't that mean then that somehow the problem's all over? It doesn't. Think about it like this. Imagine this person here offends this person there. And this person says, I forgive you. That doesn't solve the problem. This person here has to acknowledge they needed the forgiveness, receive the forgiveness, so that the reconciliation can take place. Jesus on the cross saying, I forgive you, doesn't actually on its own reconcile us to our Father in heaven. We need to receive that forgiveness. Thank you, you died for me. I'm the transgressor, the murderer, adulterer, thief, whatever it might be. All the multitude of ways in which we sin day by day. Thank you, Jesus, you died for me. I receive that forgiveness. And as we do that, that's faith. We're thanking God for what he's done. We're trusting it's true. That unites us with Jesus. We're bound up in his forgiveness. He's already paid the price for our sin. We are forgiven. And we can go into the Father's holy presence, forgiven, because of what Jesus has done for us. A good friend of mine who I met at college went to a, grew up in a home that would regularly go to church. But it hadn't really made a big impact on them as a family. They had a younger sister, and I don't know quite how it happened, but she came through to a very definite personal faith in Jesus Christ. She discovered the forgiveness of sin. My friend, the year before, uh, we went off to study physics together. He spent a year at Harwell Nuclear Research Institute, where he was surrounded by Christians who brought him to the point where he put his faith in Jesus Christ and discovered the forgiveness of sins. We had a sister, a year or two older than him, at the same university. And she looked at her little brother and little sister and wondered what was going on. They seemed to be getting religion. But then she noticed that the friends she admired most in her college were Christians. And before long, she too came to put her faith in Jesus in a personal and definite way and discover the forgiveness of sin herself. Next, the mother. And this is a slight reversal, but this is how it turned out. She invited those three children to go to a Billy Graham crusade. Now, of course, they should have invited her, but this is the way the story runs. And when the call came, she came up the front, gave her life to Jesus Christ, and has followed him ever since. Well, the father was rather surprised by what was happening to his family. Wife, three children, all now serious followers of Jesus Christ. That's not what he had in mind. But he did notice it wasn't doing them any harm. And he was the headmaster of a school in a rather tough part of central England. He thought to himself, I need to get these preachers to come and preach at my school, which you can do in England. So he brought these gospel preachers in and they started preaching the gospel to these kids. The children were getting converted. Some of the really difficult kids discover the love of God and their lives would turn around. Well, this man was very pleased about that. He wasn't quite so pleased when he found out the deputy head teacher got converted too. You almost start to feel sorry for my friend's father. Almost, but not quite. And a few weeks later he came through to put his faith in Jesus himself. It took 20 years for the other daughter to come through to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sin. And it was through a health crisis that brought her to her knees before Jesus. 
thing I love about this story is you can see that God met each one of these people in their own different places. That what Jesus had done for them on the cross became real for them in very different ways, each related to that person as they were. And that family remains transformed today in following Jesus Christ. I met up with that man I was telling you about just a few weeks ago. And to see how their lives are transformed by receiving the forgiveness of sin. Well, this is one of the great and central reasons why Jesus came. He came to deal with this problem that we're scarcely aware of most of the time. That's the thing that's killing us. That's the thing that's spoiling our relationship with God. It's the thing that's spoiling our relationships with each other. It's in spoiling our relationship even with ourselves. Jesus came to die for the sin of the world. So as we continue our journey through this Holy Week, I want us to take a moment, just be still before the Lord, and allow the Spirit of God to examine our hearts and any sin in our lives that stands between us and our Father in Heaven, that we would know the forgiveness of that sin, that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and follow Jesus all the days of our life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Father God, we do thank you for Jesus, that he has indeed died for the sin of the world. We pray, Lord God, that you would bring to mind anything that stands between us and you. Forgive us our sin. Bring us close again to our Father in heaven. And help us follow you all the days of our life. For your glory we pray it. Amen. I'd like to stand for a final blessing. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, fill our hearts and minds with the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.